Hey everyone. If you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10. That's podcast10 to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. And now to the top analysis of today's markets. Is the stock market severely mispriced? Welcome to Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Wednesday, August 30, 2023. I'm Ash Bennington. I'm joined today by Jesse Felder, founder of Felder Investment Research. Just a reminder that today's show is an extended Real Vision Daily Briefing, the second half of the show available exclusively for Real Vision members. Let's jump into today's market analysis. Jesse, pleasure to have you with us. Hey, good to be with you, Ash. So Jesse, big picture, where are we? Where do you see us 50,000 foot view right now? Well, I do, I do think this, uh, to answer the, your question, I think the stock market is uh, seriously mispriced. I, you know, I, almost on any metric you want to look at, really, uh, I, I think, you know, one of the charts we're going to get to is, is a chart that uh, came from a piece that Mike Green recently wrote comparing uh, the dividend yield, forward dividend yield on the S&P 500 to the 30-year tips yield. And typically, those things run pretty close together, but we've seen the tips yield you know, soar much higher over the last um, you know, year or so. And we haven't seen uh, you know, the dividend yield kind of keep pace with that. And that would you know, have to come from prices, stock prices falling in order to, to, to raise the yield, similar to bonds. I mean, um, you know, <clears throat> there's a variety of ways you can look at that. One of one of the ways, uh, another um, chart that I like to look at is the stock bond ratio, just spy to TLT, something like that. And on a monthly and quarterly time frame, um, we've never been more overbought on spy relative to TLT or QQQ, whatever you want, um, than in the history of those the trading of those ETFs. So uh, basically, you know, we've seen interest rates go up a ton, and and uh, you know, the stock market hasn't hasn't responded in the way that you would typically expect it to. Um, you could also look at something like just the basic price to earnings ratio. I did an interview last week, and we talked about how the forward PE ratio, you know, looks at about twenty S and P five hundred is about twenty times earnings, but on trailing earnings, we're twenty five times, um, and that compares to historical average of fifteen or less. So that's you know that, that's a lot, and if you're looking and saying, well, the forward is only 20 times, then you're betting that analysts' um, projections of a rapid increase in earnings over the next several quarters is going to play out. And I would say the macro right now suggests there's a very big risk to that narrative. That uh, if you're looking at a forward PE ratio, you have to be right on those earnings projections. And a lot of, like I said, the macro indicators suggest earnings are not going to, to be as strong. And probably we're going to see a continuation of the earnings recession that we've been in for a couple of quarters now. Yeah, I'm very impressed uh, by your analysis here. Incredibly detailed, also very holistic in the way that you think about the interrelationships between credit markets uh, and equity valuations. Let's take a look at that chart uh, right now to show that divergence uh, between 30-year real yield and the S&P 500, I guess that's total return that we're looking at, or forward, oh, it's forward dividend yield. Yeah, that's the forward dividend yield and the 30-year tips yield. Um, and, you know, because the dividend yield is essentially a real real yield also, 
this is why I like this metric and we got to credit Mike Green for this, for this chart. Um, but you really want to compare apples to apples, compare a real yield to a real yield. And this is what this chart is doing. And it shows this kind of gaping divergence where if stocks were priced in line with, with the, what the bond market is saying about inflation and whatnot, you'd have to have much lower stock prices to raise that dividend yield up significantly. And so, uh, you know, it, it basically begs the question, why are stocks, you know, uh, diverging so significantly from, from bonds? And so you could come up with a variety of potential answers um, to, you know, in that regard to try and answer that question. Well, let's talk about that. By the way, one of the things that I wanted to point out, you talk about the striking divergence there. The other thing that's interesting about that chart is the striking convergence before the divergence, seeing just how tightly uh, those two move together. And then seeing this really in just intense breakout uh, in regard to 30-year real yield, it's, it's really striking. So what are some of the causal uh, factors that you think might be driving what we're seeing right now? Well, I, I think the you know there's there's two possible th you know explanations I think that just come to mind immediately from looking at the uh, the the tra trajectory and interest rates. One is the bond market doesn't believe the inflation genie's been put back in the bottle. <laughs> the bond market right. believes that inflation is probably going to be a bigger problem going forward than maybe the stock market um, currently anticipates. Stock market stock market seems to be pricing in a scenario where inflation and interest rates go back to our pre-COVID paradigm of very low inflation, very low interest rates. Um, and bond market is saying there's something else going on here. Um, and that, that it, you know, to me, it comes back to, to two things. One is the supply-demand mismatch in the, in the Treasury market right now, something Bridgewater has referred to as the liquidity hole, uh, which is essentially the, the Treasury has to issue massive amounts of new debt. At the same time, the demand for that debt has been falling, right? We have the Fed go from a buyer to now a, a seller of, of treasuries. At the same time right. that you know the banking system has become constrained in buying treasuries and foreign central banks have lost interest in, in buying treasuries too. So you have falling demand on the treasury side at the same time, you know, we have 2 trillion of new issuance creates this liquidity hole that Bridgewater has been talking about and uh, where does that liquidity hole come from? That's the other side of this. It comes from the massive fiscal deficit that, that we're seeing just uh, widened pretty dramatically. I don't think we've, we're basically back to uh, uh, the worst fiscal deficit to GDP levels that we saw during the great financial crisis. And we're supposedly in an economic expansion right now. So we're in uncharted territory where we have a, a, a gaping hole in, in the budget here, where we're, we're not raising enough revenue to pay for the country's expenses, and we have to meet that hole by issuing a lot of debt. That in itself can potentially be an inflationary dynamic that is uh, troubling the bond market. So I, I think the bond market right now is saying that uh, interest rates are not going to come back down anytime soon, and inflation could persist you know, in a, in a systemic uh, way, or a, uh, sorry, a secular way, rather than um, right. You know, just come back down uh, due to you know cyclical forces, and then remain low for a long period of time. And I think that you know the the stock market is discounting something totally different. So it's a matter of <clears throat> who's who's right here. If the stock market's right, we need to see inflation come down, and then interest rates follow suit pretty pretty rapidly. 
Otherwise, if inflation is going to remain a problem and the bond market's right, stock prices probably have you know, are, are significantly mispriced. I mean, by and large, over a 40 or 50 year time horizon, I believe the bond market certainly has the better track record. Yeah, I, you know, that's kind of the, the running joke among people in the industry is that, uh, yeah, the, 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 the IQ of the bond market is a little bit higher than that of the stock market. Now, now do you see both of those impaired sort of supply and demand uh, impacts that are on the fixed income on the debt side uh, being both durable? Uh, or do you see that uh, potential reversal for those trends? It sounds like it seems as though it's a secular or durable shift that you see in your view. Yeah, I just think that with the trajectory of the the you know the fiscal trajectory, uh, you know of of record you know widening deficits and and already widening from dramatically wide le levels, that in order to 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 meet that supply, you would need uh, demand to grow significantly, uh, and and I don't I just don't see where that comes from. So uh, you know at some point. I think you have to believe that the, the Fed is going to, uh, you know, have to come back in into the market. Um, you know, they, they're not going to call it quantitative easing, you know, when they when they do, um, because it's likely that inflation will still remain a problem. Uh, but we've seen this, you know, we saw this with the Bank of England, um, you know, last last fall, right? And we've seen dramatically. It, I mean, the, it was a dramatic, dramatic move. Yeah, and, and we could see something similar here. Uh, if, I mean, it, that 420 level on the 10-year treasury is, is a key level that I'm watching. If we don't stay, you know, sustainably below that level, then I think we're going to see problems. And, you know, for me, when you, I, I've written about this for a couple of months now, the 10-year the treasury yield is the most important chart in the world. Um, I, and I've been reading since the start of the year. Uh, you know, I mentioned Bridgewater talking about this liquidity hole. Ray Dalio has warned about this supply-demand mismatch for, for months now, uh, building in the treasury market. And Bill Dudley, former head of the New York Fed, right? Nobody understands, I think, the dynamics of these markets, um, you know, with treasuries and, and, and money markets and things better than the, the New York Fed, uh, has warned that he would be surprised if we don't see turbulence, quote-unquote turbulence, in the treasury market, it's you know sometime this year that and and he's he's referring to this liquidity hole. So I think all of these things, the technicals, the the macro, and and uh, and and then just you know the smartest of the smart money in these markets are all pointing to the same risk, which is that uh, you know bonds are, aren't necessarily um, done in in, uh, in in with their decline just yet. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Jesse, so much to talk about there. I want to touch on the budget chart in just a minute. But since you brought up 10-year treasuries, it's such an important chart, uh, as you point out. Uh, you know, it's interesting to me because this has been one of those charts, you know, I'm not a kid any longer. And this has been a chart that's only moved in one direction my entire career following markets peaking out in 1981, uh, yield about 16% uh, or thereabouts, uh, just sky high. And that chart, if you look at it, it's literally just down and to the right uh, for 40 years until we bottom uh, during uh, the uh, during the global uh, pandemic, 
I believe it bottomed sometime around October, November of 2020. And now we've seen this rollover and it's been pretty steep, not just uh, in terms of the move, but the percentage move, percentage change because it was such a low base effect. And also the rapidity, that second derivative of the move. Uh, you know, I think the low there uh, was uh, around uh, uh, 0.7, around 70 basis points right now trading at about, uh, well, just under the mark that you talked about, 4.118 on my screen for 10-year Treasury yield. Give us the broader context on this 10-year market, what you think about it, what you see, and what it means. It's a great point. None of us have traded during a, you know, a, a long-term bear bond bear market. I, would, you know, I, think, I don't think really anybody operating the markets today is, is really familiar with it. I mean, except for a handful of old timers who were, who were trading back in the 1970s. Um, right. I was alive, but I was certainly not trading back then. I was, uh, I was not, you know, rumors notwithstanding, I was not trading in the 1970s. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I, I think what what all of us are, are dealing with and fighting really is this kind of anchoring bias, this recency bias of you know what has been familiar to us is the fact that uh, yes there there are times when interest rates rise, but uh, they always peak and roll over and, and actually set new lows with every time um, you know they they turn down, and <clears throat> so this idea that uh, we've seen a reversal. And and when yeah you're you're absolutely right to look at that long term monthly chart is critical because we've broken out of that downtrend, and you know one of my favorite quotes I'm going to bungle it but uh, you know Paul Tudor Jones when you see something break out of a range it's a sign that something significant has changed and it's probably going to continue in that direction for a time, so mm -hmm. you can look at it I think the ten year Treasury from that longer term time frame we've broken out of that downtrend that's a that's a key signal that the, the, the bond bull market, the 40 year, whatever bond bull market is done. And I, I think when you look at the, the trading and the, the 10 year treasury yield just over the last couple of years, to me, it looks like it formed kind of a bullish flag pattern where we just kind of corrected in a, in a downward kind of channel since October, that October peak. And then we, we broke out higher out of that, that pendant pattern and it suggests to me, just from a technical standpoint, that we could we could trade up towards five percent. Um, uh, the the fact that the supply and demand dynamic validates that, and we're seeing uh, what Bill Bill Dudley and Ray Dalio and Bridgewater kind of warned about, we're seeing that play out is all kind of pointing in that in that direction uh, and validating that that technical view. You know, one of the interesting factors here. Jesse, is that no matter what happens next, we're sort of in unprecedented territory, right? So we've broken uh, this trend that would in a significant way to the downside, uh, but we've never seen this kind of reversal before. So kind of no matter what happens, uh, I know that there've been some others. I remember the 1991 recession going from about uh, 5% to around seven and a half. We did see the breakout and then see the resumption of the longer term secular trend. Uh, but it seems as though you know, no matter what happens, we're kind of in uncharted waters. And and by the way, we should just point out talking about uncharted waters, there was nowhere to go. If you look at that as a 40 year secular trend, uh, once you reach the zero point on that chart, there's really nowhere to go. But up. I suppose you could stay at the bottom, but it's it sort of just all of this feels like inflection point one way or another. Absolutely. And, you know, and I, I think that's, uh, you know, it, it, it is, it's hard to to uh, overstate the the importance of this, right? Because uh, you know interest rates are fundamental to um, you know to the pricing of uh, you know every type of security, every type of asset class 
uh, around the globe. And so the fact that we are seeing, uh, you know, this major reversal represents nothing short of a paradigm shift for markets. Now, let me ask you a question. Uh, you mentioned a number before, 420. Other than the meme-worthy factorness about it, what is it about that number that you see as a critical inflection point on this yield? Well, it's, it's <clears throat> right around the highs from last October. So to break out to a new high sustainably above that, I think would be another uh, you know clear signpost along the way that uh, we are, are um, seeing the the technicals play out uh, as I suggested, which is uh, you know the, if that is a, a bull flag pattern in the ten year, um, you measure the flagpole and it's you know it's uh, it, it projects a target close to five percent. So a breakout above four twenty would take you to you know uh, not in a straight line to five, but I, I to five percent. And I think the fact that you don't hear anybody talking about potential for five percent on the ten year Treasury is a sign in itself that um, uh, you know sentiment towards towards bonds is not nearly as as bearish as, as it should be. I think if if I were a bond bull right now, I'd want I'd I'd want to see a lot more bearish sentiment uh, in the treasury market than I see today. I'd want to see you know some of the things I like to look for in you know the financial media is um, uh, headlines that are. Uh, talking about the, the relentless move higher in rates or the unstoppable move higher in rates. It's when somebody starts, when once people start extrapolating, right, moves indefinitely into the future, that's when you know sentiment has gone gone too far. And we just haven't seen, I haven't seen any of that kind of uh, media reflecting the mood in the bond market, reflecting a really bearish mood in the bond market as of yet. And, and so that tells me that, uh, you know, the, I think there's still room to the upside for rates. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. So I have a couple of questions for you. What what would it take to get to 5% on the 10-year yield? What do you handicap the probability of that happening being? And what would happen when we got there? I mean, would that just be uh, something that we would see a lot more gloom and doom in stock markets if we saw that type of uh, kind of uh, asset mix? Yeah, I mean, I think what would it what would it take to get there? I think it would take um, just a continuation of the current trend, right? I mean, the, what's going on right now is I meant I just bring it back to this liquidity hole. Is Treasuries trying to sell two trillion dollars worth of debt in the second half of the year, and are there buyers for that debt? <laughs> and you know, in order to attract buyers, they're having to offer higher and higher yields. So I think it's just a simple supply demand dynamic that if uh, you know. Uh, there's not the natural, you know, buyers for this stuff. Uh, that you know, yield's going to have to go higher to attract more buyers. Um, so that's that's kind of what I, I you know, I think uh, that's all it would take is is just a continuation of that liquidity hole materializing. Um, and, and I think it's important to talk about too why it had, did materialize earlier in the year because, um, and and Greg Jensen at Bridgewater recently did a a, a podcast on this topic. Suggesting that uh, you know the debt ceiling kind of interrupted um, the the pattern in this in this liquidity hole. That the fact that the treasury was unable to sell new debt had to run down the treasury general account to almost nothing as a part of that debt ceiling um, you know, negotiation process really uh, uh, bolstered liquidity for for a period of time. And now that you know the debt ceiling issue is kind of out of the way, treasury is free to sell all this debt. Now we're back to you know this liquidity hole is opening up again. Now what does that mean if we did head towards five percent on the ten year? Well, I'll just I just put it this way: 
the correction that we've seen in stock prices in August, which you know the media we we didn't even see much of a, a correction, but the media was already you know Wall Street Journal you know August living up to its reputation as a terrible month for stock prices you know and all this stuff, even at the lows, we were still more overbought on SPY and QQQ, more overbought relative to TLT than any point in those ETFs history. So what, what is that, how, how does that work? Well, stocks sold off, but bonds have sold off even more. So how do you get that ratio, the stock bond ratio to come down? Well, you need stocks to fall faster than bonds. And so, you know, so I think if, if the bond, you know, interest rates go up to five and TLT, you know, breaks down to, to new lows, you're going to need stock prices to fall even faster than that to kind of bring some normalization to this ratio. You look back at previous times and the ratio was, was similarly overbought. It was early 2018. 2018 was not a, a good year for stock prices. Um, and, uh, and I think prior to that was that 2007-ish timeframe. Um, it's times when Fed's raising interest rates uh, and, and stock prices are, are, have not yet responded to the the uh, to the uh, lagged monetary effects that ha haven't quite kicked in yet yet, and and so I think that's that's where we are in in, in this process. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Yeah, TLT, of course, iShares 20-plus year Treasury bond ETF tracks price, not yield. So you'll see it moving in the opposite direction as the yields. Uh, we talked through this a little bit, Brian. Maybe you could show the chart uh, of what was happening in the, the uh, deficit uh, right now in the U.S. Because I think uh, this is something you touched on a little bit before. But when you see it visually on screen, Jesse, it really is quite striking uh, to see those gaps really materializing in a significant way, you know, minus 5%. Uh, we went down at the trough of the pandemic to minus 15% U.S. budget balance as a share of GB GDP. Uh, but we are now significantly below the 5% mark. As you said, I think quite eloquently, uh, this is something that looks like a crisis moment, and yet we're not in a crisis. Absolutely. I mean, typically what you've seen with this is, you know, in the, in the post-war period, is you get a widening deficit uh, during a during recession because revenues come down, right? Tax tax receipts come down, and the government spends more as kind of fiscal stimulus to try and help the economy through recession. So deficit widens, and and that's kind of a normal normal process. When the economy heals, right? Tax revenue comes grows and comes back in again, and the and uh, you know fiscal spending can kind of um, you know come come back in again because the you know economy is starting to heal, and so you get. Uh, the deficit narrowing again, and even a surplus in the late 90s. Um, what's happened this time, I think, is especially notable because, you, as you point out, during the pandemic, you had that kind of counter-cyclical um, you know, fiscal stimulus. We saw revenues come down. We saw the deficit blow out. But since then, we've seen a very, very strong recovery in the economy, one of the strongest recoveries uh, in economic growth on record. And what has the, the deficit done? It's, it has not improved uh, by kind of any measurable uh, way. And in fact, it's, it's already uh, deteriorating again. And so this is, this is a, a new thing for, for our country, really, that we have not seen a worsening fiscal situation during an economic expansion 
uh, at least to this, this degree. And it suggests that there's a uh, potentially an inflationary dynamic being uh, promoted by the fiscal side of things today that's going to create a very serious challenge for the Fed in, for, for years to come. And uh, you pair that kind of uh, secular inflationary impulse from the fiscal side of things with other dynamics, and it suggests that maybe the bond market's right, that it, the inflation genie's not put back in the bottle, and there are other things going on here. Yeah, I mean, the other interesting thing about that chart that's worth remarking on is that uh, you can see moves on both sides of the ratio to the negative. We just saw today the downward revision of Q2 2023 GDP in the U.S. Uh, down to 2.1%. Uh, so you see uh, not just the expansion uh, of spending, but also the contraction of GDP. So you're getting it on both ends in that ratio. Yeah. Yeah, and, and if I mean, I think the thing to, to really worry about here is is if we are headed for a hard landing and not a soft landing, um, you know, and this is this is might be another thing the bond market is trying to price in, is where does this deficit go uh, during the next recession, right? What what does it look like in the next one? If we're already at, you know, seven eight percent during an economic expansion, are we going 15, 20 uh, in in recession? And if so, uh, you know, you start you know, worrying about things like uh, like a debt spiral. Um, and that's not just my language. Uh, Larry, Larry Summers has mentioned it in recent months. When you have a former Treasury Secretary talking about a debt spiral, it's something to pay very close attention to, I think. Yeah, by the way, while we're talking about all of this, I wanted to bring up a clip. Uh, this is a deep dive called, Will the Fed Continue to Embrace a Longer-Term Hawkish Stance? Our own Andreas Steno Larson interviewing Danielle DiMartino Booth and Dennis Lockhart. Let's take a look at the clip. Well, I think my, my biggest takeaway, I had my, my, I had two big two big takeaways, the first of which was 2% is not going anywhere. So there had been um, there'd been some rather loud advocacy to raising the inflation target to 3%. And uh, and he was very pointed uh, and resolute in saying that, you know, until the job is done entails the number two. And, and not three. Do, do I really think he'll split hairs if, if it's very glaringly obvious that they're getting close to that 2% target? No, I don't. But what he did refuse was any idea uh, that some have pressed him on about raising the inflation target and hats off to him for that. Uh, and the other, my other biggest takeaway was that there was absolutely no mention of the balance sheet. So Danielle DiMartino Booth with Dennis Lockhart, conversation with Andreas Sinoa Larson, by the way, available on the Real Vision Essential tier, uh, came out on Monday. Listen, that's really interesting. She breaks it down very clean, very crisp. Two key takeaways, the first of which is that she does not see the Fed backing away from 2%. That's not going anywhere in Danielle DiMartino's Booth's view. Uh, she does not see the Fed letting that creep up to 3%. And the other point, and boy, I thought this was an interesting one to end on, uh, that her biggest takeaway was there was no mention of the balance sheet over at the Fed. Now it's uh, still significantly elevated over $8 trillion. Jesse, what are your thoughts? You know, I, I, Danielle is, uh, you know, is, is probably one of the most um, knowledgeable and experienced Fed watchers there, you know, that you can, you can ever want to talk to. So I, yeah, I, I really respect her, her opinion. You know, my takeaway from Jackson Hole was that um, it was really kind of a non-event. The Fed's been very, clear as to uh, how they intended to proceed. And it's, you know, interest rates are higher for longer. 
uh, unless something breaks. Um, you know, they, I, they've said, we, you know, we probably need to, you know, one more quarter point raise before the year end. We don't know if that's September or November, um, but we're, we're not looking at cutting interest rates anytime soon. And that's because, you know, we've only started to see inflation come back down, but there, there are, uh, you know, they're going to have to be very certain that uh, inflation is effectively under wraps before they think about cutting interest rates. Um, and, and, and so, uh, you know, I, I think that's Jay Powell just kind of reiter it reiterated what they've been saying for, um, you know, for months now. Now, that's something that the, the markets in the stock market is, uh, you know, potentially pricing something something other than what what Jay Powell is seeing. But I think there's, uh, you know, uh, an interesting um, point uh, that we're, we're here in, in the markets, and, and that's basically that if the Fed is going to cut interest rates, as the market uh, stock market seems to anticipate, um, they would be doing probably that in response to, to something breaking in the financial system. And when I look at a, a stock chart like Citigroup, uh, it's not hard to imagine something, something breaking. Citi's very close to its lows from last October. The, the, the broad banking system, the banking ETF, doesn't look too healthy. Um, and obviously we've seen the problems with the regional, regional banking system. So <clears throat> there is a possibility that higher for longer doesn't actually last very long. Um, but I think that the the what would precipitate uh, a, you know another Powell pivot would be something breaking in the financial system that that wouldn't be bullish for risk assets. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, I think it's uh, important to, to to think about those things because, um, yeah, it, it, the stock market might want to be careful what it what it uh, what it wishes for because a, a, a rapid cutting of interest rates again could probably would probably only coincide with some serious financial distress. Well, we're going to talk about that in just one second, but I have to say that wraps up the first half of today's daily briefing. We're going to continue this conversation on the Real Vision platform. You can join the waitlist if you're not already a member at realvision.com forward slash waitlist. That's realvision.com forward slash waitlist. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision daily briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best brightest and biggest names in finance.